Today we'll be in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I want to remind you, Psalm 30 says this. It says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. Eric, you left your... Are you going to preach today? I love you, buddy. It's okay. You want everybody to amen with you. I think we'll do that one Sunday. We'll leave his microphone on so you can amen with him, all right? Most of us remember that Bill and Gloria Gaither picked up that Psalm 30 and they wrote a chorus that said, Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning. Weeping only lasts for the night. Hold on, my child, joy comes in the morning. The darkest hour means dawn is just in sight. Now, that's personal to you if you've ever been sick at night. When you get sick at night, it comes about 2 or 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, all you're begging for is God send the daylight. Because somehow, when the daylight gets there, we think that we find new hope, we find new help. Daylight seems to always help us. And it's weird. Light and dark collide. It's generally the darkest. Darkness tries to overtake. But when light comes, light takes over because darkness is the absence of light. I mention that because as we have worked our way through this uh, revelation, chapter 12 and 13 appear to be a dark time in the unveiling of Jesus because Satan has tried to perform what we would call in our terms a coup. A coup. They tried to to win, even though they know that they're on the losing side, they've tried to win. And as we get to these first verses, first 13 verses of chapter 14, we come to understand once again, God is in control, God is in charge, and in the end, he will indeed when today as we read this these 13 verses it will reveal that earth is coming to an end whether we like it or not destruction is on the horizon jesus's return is imminent and for those who here's what we better take away right now for those who don't know christ Punishment awaits. For those who know Christ, paradise awaits. So the question today and the title of this message is a simple three-word question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now... When I ask, are you ready, I am keenly aware that we kind of spend that sometime the way we want to spend it. Most people will say, Brother Jerry, man, I am good. I am ready to go to heaven. I am ready to get there. I am ready to see my grandmother. I am ready to see my granddaddy. I am ready to see my wife or my husband. I've got somebody there I'm ready to see. I just want to say this to you. And if you get mad, throw me out. You can. I lasted three years. I start four years today. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you think, if you think that you're going to heaven 
And the most important person that you're going to see is a kinfolk from here. You may not make it. Because you see, that is, as much as I love my memo and I want to see her, she ain't the one that got me into heaven. I want to see the one who got me there. I want to see Jesus. You see, the truth is, it's not, are you ready to go to heaven? That is the wrong question. The question is, are you ready for eternity? Because the only way you get into eternity is you come face to face with God. So the real question is, are you ready to come face to face with God? Are you ready for Him to look at you with His eyes of fire? They're eyes of fire because they can look through all your facade. He looks to us and He sees us for who we are. He sees us for who we have really sold ourselves to. He sees us for who really owns us. You see, when we leave this life, there's really only two paths. There is the path that leads to the great white throne judgment. We'll study it just a few weeks in Revelation, I think it's 20. One path to the great white throne judgment. And from the great white throne judgment where you'll meet God and you'll be judged for the decision that you didn't make to follow Christ, there's only one exit. And that exit leads into eternal punishment for everybody who has lived their life away from Christ, outside of Christ, not following Christ. The other road is the road that leads to the judgment seat of Christ as spoken of in First Corinthians. From the throne of the judgment seat, there's only one exit, and it leads into eternal paradise. Today, are you ready? Are you, where would you go if the trumpet sounded right now? Where would you go? Are you ready? Today, let's just read this. I want you to see a couple of groups of people who are in eternity. And then let us make ourselves ready as we work our way through. Revelation chapter 14 would begin in verse 1, if you will. And Ken, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? Then I looked, John writes, and there <laughs> was the Lamb. I just want to stop right there. Then I looked. And there was the Lamb. Standing on Mount Zion. And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. Then I heard what was like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. Because, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They, are, they were redeemed from humanity as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth, and they are blameless. 
Then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another, a second angel followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand... He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and suffer in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls... For endurance from the saints who keep God's command and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that today that you will move into this room and you'll move in in such a way that you will take over our hearts just like you did at Pentecost. And I pray if there's anyone that's not ready or not sure that they're ready, I pray that today will be the day that they are prepared to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I try to put myself in the shoes of John. Chapter 1, he saw the glorified Jesus, and that got his attention. In verse 1 here, he looks and he sees the Lamb. He looks and he sees Jesus. He saw the Lamb in chapter 5. And now he sees the Lamb on Mount Zion. Kind of takes his breath away. Sees the one that he's loved, the one that he's followed. He sees the one that he probably didn't expect to see again for a while. I have a question for you. Are you ready to see the Lamb? Are you ready to look into those eyes? Are you ready to meet him face to face? I can tell you the truth from my experience in life. When I was a when I was a teenager, there were times that I didn't want to see my dad face to face. 
Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you looking at me like, no, Brother Jerry, you're pretty, you're pretty good, the only one that never wanted to see his dad face to face? You see, you want to see your dad face to face when you were in good, when you're in obedience, we're walking in, in what he wanted you to do. But not when you're walking out. Are you ready to meet God? For him to speak words to you because he knows all about you? In our, in our text today, I see two groups, and they're ready to meet him. In fact, they have met him. Let me just kind of unpack that, because there'll be lessons for us to learn along the way. The first group is a group I'm going to call the converted. The converted. These are the 144,000. If you look there, he had 144,000. These are Jewish witnesses, guys who had been saved, who had been redeemed, who had been bought by that blood, Eric, that we just talked about. They had been bought by the blood. They had been saved by the grace. They had evangelized the world, and now they were with him. But I want you to look at them for a second. They have some interesting characteristics. First of all, see their marks. They were marked. It says they had his name, that's the lamb's name, and his father's name written on their forehead. They are clearly marked by God, so there's no confusion about who they are. His name on their foreheads. Now, when you read this, if you go back and read this outside of this uh, message, you'll discover that at this point in history, it's likely every person who's on earth is marked. Satan has put the mark on the forehead and the hand, and now God has marked His people. So everybody belongs to somebody. Did y'all get that? Everybody belongs to somebody. Every time I preach a message like this, somebody comes up and goes, well, wait a minute, Brother Jerry. Everybody's marked. What about those people? What about those people... They're not marked by God, but they've not consented to being marked by Satan. You know what that reminds this preacher of? The people, the number of people that want to walk right up next to the line. When we were teenagers, I've not ever heard you guys do it, so I want to be fair here, but when we were teenagers, we always asked how far could we go before it was a sin. I see the old people laughing at it because you know that. We want to walk right up next to the line. And you know what? When you walk right up next to the line, you know what will happen? You'll fall off. Why in the world do we want to push it all the way right to the edge? Truth is, is that people do that all the time. It's like they're kind of like the little boy. He went to bed, went into his bedroom, and he went to bed, and he went to sleep. He was exhausted. About middle of the night, his parents heard a thump, and he had fallen out of the bed on the floor. Parents went in there and said, are you okay? What happened? And he said, I'm okay. I just went to sleep too close to where I got in. And you know, that's what's going on with people in the church today. 
They get saved. I've seen it too many times. It just makes me so sad. They pray to receive Christ. They go through the process. They get baptized. They get a foot in the door. And they just stop. And you know what happens? They become miserable. And you know why? Because they have one foot in the world, one in the church, and they're miserable both places. You see, I'll just, I want to be clear with you. To not choose Jesus is to choose Satan. You see, that's what we see here. These guys, they are marked. There, there is no middle ground. In my human, finite, frail, small mind, everyone in this building is internally marked by who you belong to. The redeemed are marked or sealed, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, the rest are marked by the Spirit of Satan. Preaching at First Baptist Columbia tomorrow night for the uh, uh, associational meeting. You're invited to come. I know we have messengers, but you're invited to come if you'd like. You probably get enough of me on Sundays. But, but one of the things that I think that we need to deal with and need to understand, if you will, is this thing of being His. Being His. He seals us when we come to Him. He marks us when we come to Him. How are you marked today? Are you marked with the spirit of Satan? Or the spirit of Christ? thing I'm on, I may tell them tomorrow night is that I am looking for the book in the Bible. And I can't find it. So, Jimmy, you're a, you're a scholar. You can, you can find it for me. Mark, you're a scholar. You can find it for me. I'm looking for the book in the Bible that I can't find. You see, most people, they pray to receive Christ and they start following Christ. And somehow they know that being a part of a church family... It's what Christ would want them to have. That's what the book says. And so they get saved. They begin to grow in the Lord. And they know that, that their allegiance and their faithfulness is to Him and to His church. The book I can't find, Eric. You can help me. Not because you're a theologian. You're a musician. You can't be a theologian, okay? The thing I can't find is that book in the Bible that tells me that a person can come to Christ... They can pray to receive Him. They start following Him. And oh, then they have a choice about whether they're faithful or not. If they have nothing else to do, they can give God their Sundays. If they have nothing else to do, they can give God their Wednesdays. If there's nothing else on the schedule, and I haven't found that book. Will you help me there, Jimbo? Don't shake your head no at me. Will you help me, Mike? Will you help me, Mark? He won't even... You with him. Okay, I knew I couldn't count on you two guys. I just can't find that book. You see, we are marked by who owns us. And who owns us controls us. 
their mark. The second thing I see about them is their music. Their music. Some of you just said, oh, right, Brother Jerry, now this is going to get good. There'll be a lot of music in heaven. Aren't you glad? When I was a musician, when I was a musician, when I was a minister of music, I used to tease all of my pastors when they had preached a really long time, and I'd go, you better get yours in down here because it's all music up there. There's no preaching up there. But, you know, most many people go, well, man, when I get to heaven, it's going to be good because we're going to sing Amazing Grace. We're going to sing Peace in the Vat. We're going to sing all those old songs. Well, i got news for you. I love Amazing Grace. I love My Chains Are Gone. I love the music we did this morning, new and old. I love all that music. But I, I let me burst your bubble. We're probably not going to sing anything in heaven that we sing here. Because it says right here they sang a new song. New song. Have you ever thought about it? My friend Gordon Jensen wrote a song that explains it to me. Bill Gaither is a songwriter that's been writing for years. Aren't you glad Bill Gaither didn't stop his spiritual walk? I mean, he wrote, he touched me. Man, we love to sing that song. He wrote, because he lives. Man, we love to sing that song. He wrote something beautiful. Man, we love to sing that song. And then down the road, he wrote, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Aren't you glad that Bill Gaither didn't stop in his tracks, in his Christian life, so he could enjoy all the messages? Gordon Jensen wrote a song that should should speak to us. It says it's a song... Holy angels can't sing. You know what that song is? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's a song holy angels cannot sing. I once was lost, but down found. The very reason that the music is going to be new and different up there is in the presence of holy God. Old won't do. It has to be new. I mean, when he saved you, think about it. Watch this. He saves you to have a new walk, to a new talk, a new life, a new direction, a new destination, a new vocabulary, a new set of priorities. Everything is to be new. And that will be the music. The new song will be an exalting song. We don't even know what it be. It says that nobody else could learn it but the 144,000. It's exclusive for him. The music of heaven is going to be wonderful. Now I want you to see their maturity. See their maturity. This is the last thing. Not only did they sing a song, learn and sing a song of the redeemed, if you look in your scripture, they followed the Lamb wherever He went. That's maturity. That's spiritual maturity. Following the Lamb wherever He goes. The immature Christ follower, listen, will only follow Christ as long as He leads where I want to go. 
the mature believer understands that the Lord knows best. And because the Lord knows best, the mature believer follows him wherever he goes. And let me just give you a couple of words here. It's a sign of ownership. They were redeemed. They knew their Redeemer. They knew their mark. They knew they were the first fruits of God. They knew the Lamb. And the question for you today and me today is, who owns you? That'll be the question tomorrow night. Who's your God? What's your God? Who owns you? Another word that, that, that we can speak to them is the word obedience. How obedient are you? You do understand that 97% obedient is disobedience. Am I the only one that got taught that? I mean, mom would, would go off on town and she'd say, I was the oldest, so it fell on my shoulders. If my bratty little brother and sister wouldn't help me, it still fell on my shoulders. Wanda, Pud, y'all know anything about it? No, never mind. Don't, don't get started there. I'll get family thing going on. 97% obedience. Still, still disobedience. This is what would happen. Mom would give me a laundry list of things that had to be done, both inside and outside. And she'd say, I want them done before I got back. And so when we come back, we've worked real hard on this. We've done a lot on this. Do you know what my mom could do, Jude? She could walk in. And she had this magical eye. And she knew what we didn't do. It wasn't what we did do. She knew what we didn't do. And, you, and, and in her mind, we'd been disobedient. Now you go, your mother was unfair. No. My mother was trying to teach us some values of life. That disobedience is either, that obedience is either complete or it's disobedient. It's one of the things we need to learn in God's house today. Either we're completely obedient and everything, anything less is disobedient. The converted that we're reading about in Revelation 4, they understood that. And they gave him their all. Now, there's much more here, but for the sake of time, let's move to the, from the converted. There's a second group of people here. These are the created. The created. I want to speak a word about created. We will hear in our culture today, that we are all God's children. And most of us will pump up and go high five. Yeah, you're right. Only problem with that is, this book doesn't say that. This book doesn't say that. This book says, we are all creations of God. But it tells us that the only way to get in God's family is to be born and adopted. And if I were to take you through the cultural significance of both of those uh, events, you would understand why God has given to His children, His redeemed children, the best of both worlds. The created that we're talking about here are angels. It's not humans, it's angels. And by the way, humans don't die and become angels. Angels have been created by God as His servants. You can look there in verse 6. We see the first mention of an angel. People love to talk about angels. We love to talk about things that we don't understand. 
It makes perfect sense here in the context of, of this unveiling of Jesus for angels to appear. Because you see, angels appeared all through history, all through the Bible, where Jesus was. Where Jesus was coming. The angel told Mary that Jesus was coming. The angel told Joseph that Jesus was coming. The angels told the shepherds that Jesus had arrived. The angels came to Jesus after Satan was kicked away in that temptation. When Satan left him, the angels came and ministered to him. At the tomb, there was an angel. When he ascended, there was an angel. These angels, these created ones, they come and offer some words that will help us as we kind of draw this to a close. The first word we see here is there is a word about worship. If you look, if you look at verse 6, it says, I saw another angel flying high overhead. Watch this, here he comes. With the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth... Every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And this angel spoke with a loud voice. And he said, fear God. Fear God. Fear God. And give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made the heavens and earth, the sea, and the springs of life. You see, they came with the gospel of God. The gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of hope, the gospel of light. That one gospel is all about one part of the Godhead. It is all about Jesus. Humanity, when we worship, we bring glory to God. How do we worship Him? The angels say, fear God. A friend of mine and I just are finishing up a book. I preached here a couple of years ago. And the last one is the reason we don't have revival is the reason that we don't have worship, which is the reason we don't have spiritual life in many places is because we have no fear of God. In fact, this culture will no fear. That's okay. You can fear him now or fear him later, but you will fear him. When you see him face to face, you will fear him. God is indeed a God of love. He's indeed a God of grace. He's a God of hope. But watch this, folks. He is the same God that sent the flood in Noah's day. He's the same one that sent the fire in the day of Lot. He, he is the one that sent his disobedient children into the wilderness for 40 years to die. You see, he demands our love. He demands our respect. He demands our fear. He is the God of creation, and he's the God of judgment. Fearing God will always lead you to worship. You go in the back bush of Africa, and you find people. You find those, um, we call them natives. They fall on their face to false gods. We fall on our faces to false gods. See, the created teaches us about worship. Then he gives us the word about wickedness. We find that up in verse 8. And another angel, a second angel, followed, saying, It has fallen. Babylon the Great. I think that's a little sarcasm. Babylon the Great has fallen. 
She's made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Babylon is the mother of all immorality. A spiritual harlot, if you will. It sounds like America today. You can make your own you can make your own assessment, but for me, I don't know that I can go back and point to one nation in history that God has blessed so much in her early days that has turned so radically against the teachings of the very one who put them in place as America. Romans one gives God a, God's opinion about spiritual adultery. He gives his opinion about abandoning God. In my lifetime, I've seen America go from being moral. That is, we had morals and we lived by them. To being immoral, we had rules and we didn't live by them. To amoral, where we didn't have any rules. And we live in the last verse, we're living today in the last verse of the book of Judges where everybody kind of does what's right in their own mind. Romans 1, Revelation 14 makes it clear, makes it very clear that God's wrath is against those who are wicked. And so the third word here, From the created is a word of warning. You can see that in verse 9 and 10. Another angel, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will, to- he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or- and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. Now, if we had time, we could really spend a lot of time here, but... But the warning for us that I have been running around is to watch who or what you have as a God. Breaking the first commandment is to receive God's full and undiluted anger and wrath. You know what undiluted is. I mean, think about it. You take Clorox, and you're always careful where you that concentrated Clorox goes because... That concentrated Clorox, it'll take color out of things that you don't want taking color out of. So what do you do, ladies, men? You take you a cup over here, you pour you in a little Clorox, and you pour you, and you dilute it with water. And now it becomes a cleaning agent that'll clean something. But you pour it in full strength, it'll ruin something. You see, that's what God is conveying to us. That's what God is conveying to us. Undiluted means full strength. Verse 10 gives us a picture of, of, 
eternity apart from Christ and torment with fire and suffer. Sounds like hell to me. In the sight of angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke rises up and it's evidence that the torment goes on forever and ever. There'll be no rest day or night for the ones who are marked by Satan. I said earlier that I think everybody's marked. Young people always get on me when I go back and, and use old things, and I'm going to do it twice today, so they got two reasons to get me. But movie back in the 70s, Thief in the Night, there was a liberal minister that would stand in front of his congregation week after week and say, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. The rapture came and went. Well, obviously he was left behind, as was one of his members. And she came to him, and they were having a conversation. And she said, so you haven't received the mark of the beast? This is what he said. I was marked in my heart a long time ago. You know what he was saying? He was saying I was marked in my heart because I was deceived, because I didn't believe the very thing I was reading. I didn't believe how God would judge. I didn't believe that you had to do something. I really didn't believe this would happen. And I dare say, perhaps even in this room, there are people sitting here listening to this message and going, I don't really believe that's going to happen. And here's the warning, the reality, and the question for every person in this room. I ask you this question. Whose mark is on your heart? I'm going to end with one other thing that the Scripture gives us. It's the words. It's the words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. We find those in verse 13. This could be the word of comfort. This could be the word of reality. But it says... I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, and here it is, it's a beatitude. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. The Spirit says, yes, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. Blessed are those who die in the Lord as opposed to cursed are those who die outside of the Lord. In the Lord, you'll find rest from this life. You'll find relief from the struggles and you'll find rewards for things you've done. Outside the Lord is another matter. Eternity is not the same for everybody. I told you that I was going to use old things a couple of times. I'm using old lyrics here, really old lyrics here. Because I'm going to be fair with you. I want you, to, I want you to know that I spent an hour and a half looking for up-to-date lyrics that would express a story like this. And then, if they are, I, I, I couldn't find it. Clay McLean wrote this song in the late 60s, early 70s. I'm not singing it. For me, as I have grown as a musician and as a Christian, the music part of it becomes less important. It's the message. This is what, the, this is what Clay wrote. 
I'm going to ask you to listen. I'm almost done. I got up on Sunday morning and I went to the church at 10. I listened to the words I heard time and time again. The preacher spoke of sinful lives and it seemed he spoke of mine. But I was young and I had plenty of time. I walked on down life's pathway living as I wished to live. Out to beat the other fellow and out to get what life can give. Making money's not sinful. Having fun's not a crime. But I was young and I had plenty of time. The first course says it this way. Plenty of time to decide where I'm bound. To eternal darkness or to a heavenly crown. I'm just a young man. Not yet in my prime. I'll wait. I've got plenty of time. Before I knew what happened, my life had passed away. Now millions stand before God's throne. For this is judgment day. Eternal darkness beckons and the name it calls mine. I thought I had plenty of time. Eternity waits. I got plenty of time to think of all the days that Christ could have been mine. My chance is over. Earth's days are left behind because now I'm, I've nothing but plenty of time. You see, folks, when the trumpet sounds, it's over. Also, during that time frame, somebody else wrote these words that I think are contemporary for today when you think about the culture today. Life was filled with guns and war. And everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, and the days grew cold. A piece of bread, inflation, could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. Today I ask the question, are you ready? I told you this before, but it fits so well right here. In the last pastorate, Hueytown Baptist Church. Brother Roy was a preacher that joined the church. Sunday night, came to the end of the service. I shook his hand. He gave me that big toothy smile. I'll see you Wednesday night, Brother Jerry. Went out and got in his car. I was speaking to our instrumentalist. And somebody ran in and said, Brother Roy's having a heart attack. I went out and I sat down in the pasture side of his car. Just in time to hear him say, I'm going to pass out. And he did. And he met his creator right then. You never know when you'll draw your last breath. Are you ready? Would you bow your head?